Well, I was going to give you the passage, and then I sat y'all, so I think I'm going to do something different first. Hey, Caleb, come on up here, buddy. That's my oldest son. He just turned 11. Give it up for Caleb Daniel. It's really weird. There's no reason to it. His name is spelled with a C, but we call him KK with two-letter Ks, so we just um, went to our first father-son ball game yesterday at the Cardinals, and we got him a jersey for his birthday, and it says KK on the back, number 11, because he's 11. And uh, we got box seats right by the dugout, because I'm like, if we're going to go, let's go all the way in. We don't do this very often. And we're like, maybe we could get like an autograph. I went once when I was a kid where I got there early enough, I had my ball. Is it, anybody remember doing this? Is it not the dream to get a cardinal autograph or get a foul ball or something like that. That is heaven on earth when you're a little kid. And man, I never, I never got that far, but I remember we went once with my dad and I got Lee Smith's autograph, remember him? The closer who always blew the lead. Best closer in the league, Hall of Famer, but every time I was there, he'd blow the game, love you, Lee. But he gave me his autograph and a few others, but this time they were done and it was like busy at 11.15. Two hours early, the place was packed and there was lines wrapped around the building, but something really special happened. And I'm not talking about the screenshot someone sent us of us on TV. We didn't know that. And man, that's how we look. Somebody looking a little rough that day. Caleb, you looked good, by the way. But Caleb wants to share something really cool that happened to him. Um, so at the baseball game, I might have been kind of bum, bummed because um, I didn't get an autograph or no ball, no nothing. Um, and I was sitting there. It was like four inning or something. And uh, num player number 25 points at me and wants me to come to him. So I go over there. He gives me the ball. And then it was awesome. And I came back, and I was like teared up a little bit. And, it was, and then I got a high five, and then it was awesome. I told him, I said, buddy, I wanted a, a ball my whole life. You just got a one in a million there. A Dickerson number 25. Thanks, bud. You can take a seat. Dickerson number 25. I don't know any of the players except Willie McGee, who evidently is a coach now. Wow, I'm a little backdated. It was really cool. McGee was right there. And I was like, I was this close saying, Willie, ball, bro, come on. You know, but I didn't out of etiquette for the, for the game being on. And Dickerson walks up and we're sitting there and he goes, it's like when the pretty girl waves, we're like. And, and, uh, and, and the people behind us goes, buddy, he's pointing to you. And Caleb, Caleb's so good. He goes, dad, can I go? I said, yeah, go. So he runs down there, gives him the ball. And the whole crowd was so touched by this moment because Caleb, he's sensitive. And he, 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 he got a little choked up because it was so special. And then I got a little choked up. And then we're like crying together that he got a foul ball. And, and I'm like, can I have it? Oh, where'd it go? It's in daddy's pocket. No, I didn't do that, but it was really cool. There was strangers walking up, patting him on the back. Like, you think, you think God showed up? And I'm going to be writing a whole sermon on this whole ball game thing because it's pretty, it's pretty spectacular, the faith people have from the stands. And, man, I didn't know they knew how to play better than the players. It's impressive that, that the person who looks like they've never been on a team is like an expert behind me. I'm like, how did... 
man, you must be like a, a, a fortune teller or something. Anyway, I'm going to write a sermon on that. I thought that'd be good. But I just wanted to share that with y'all. Had nothing to do with the sermon. I just thought it was so cool and special that that it touched him and then people saw that. And that's what, that's what being a Christian is too. Like when you do something small that's so unique and something unique happens, it touches people around you. So that's why it was so powerful is it just... It just, it just set the mood for the next inning that was 95 degrees that didn't have my sunscreen. But I'm going to give you a passage today that you're going to hear it, and all you single people are going to go, oh, I shouldn't have came today. But I'm not going to give you uh, the normal reason why we read this passage. It's on marriage, but we're going to talk about a, a marriage in a different way today. So don't check out. PJ's not saying, go get yourself a man. What you doing? You're still sing- single too long. That's not what I'm saying. This is a different kind of marriage we're going to talk about today. Amen? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 32. This is Paul's writing. He's talking to wives and husbands. Maybe y'all don't know, there's a lot of depth to this beyond what we think of as marriage. It says, wives, submit to yourselves, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, this is not a one-sided deal here, guys. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, the church, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water. That's the word, through the word, amen. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, trying, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Everybody say his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. God takes two things and he makes it one and it becomes a new thing and that's called a covenant and that's what marriage represents is a covenant between God and his church. You didn't know that God wasn't designed based on our understanding of marriage, but God designed our marriage based on his design of his relationship with humanity. Did y'all know that? Did you know, do y'all know that, that Christ is the bride and the church is his, excuse me, Christ is the groom and the, the church is his bride? Does anybody know that? And so when we become born again and part of the body, we become married to Christ as his church. I forgot a verse, verse 32. This is a profound mystery, Paul says, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Some of y'all going, it is a mystery that I put up with them for all these years. It is. I don't know how I did it. No, we're not talking about this. It's not February relationship month. We're talking about the mystery that Christ would reconcile a, a, a humanity back to him through the marriage of the new covenant. And we'd be intertwined with him. My subject today is spiritual strands. Spiritual strands. Who knows what a strand is? 
It's like, it's not much in itself, but when there's lots of them, it becomes strong, right? And interwoven, right? And intertwined. And when you get enough strands around something, I think they call that clothes. I'm not a, I'm not a seamstress or whatever, a clothes, a clothes maker. When I'm such, I don't know anything here. Whatever they call that, someone who makes apparel. Don't you just buy it online and it shows up? I thought it grew on the apparel tree. No, it doesn't. But many strands make a strong bond. And you get enough strands around something, it's unbreakable. See, the passage we read today is often used. In fact, I think I used it in the last wedding I did to help us understand the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman and the spiritual formation that takes place when we join in holy matrimony with our spouse. And as valid as this is to help us see deeper beyond the piece of paper that the state calls a marriage, we see, for example, in a marriage license, God is showing us a much deeper sign that he desires a marriage relationship with us, which is a blueprint of what this holy covenant is to begin with. That's where our understanding of marriage came from, was his blueprint of his covenant with his church. He is showing us how we become one with him in the union, everybody say union, through salvation. And what he has brought together through the cross and resurrection cannot be undone. It can't be undone. There's a reason it says you are a new creation, because it means once you join in the union, it can't be divorced. It can't be annulled. It can't be separated. Y'all with me? He desires to join us like this, and we must oblige and desire to join him like this. And when we do, the spiritual strands of our hearts and God's heart, this is so good, become interwoven into a place of inseparability. Peter, uh, David was a man after God's own heart. That means God has a heart. It's a spiritual thing. It's not like he's got a heart and needs a transplant like the thing in our chest, but he's got a place that is the, the essence of who he is. And when that interwoves with our heart, our spiritual kingdom, we become inseparable for eternity. Isn't that good? So all that to say, for two years I've been... Can't talk today. I didn't have enough coffee, Kathy. But all these, these last two years, I've been procrastinating a sermon about this subject that actually came about from a friend of mine who used to be with the church named Damon. How many knew Damon? Okay, you can clap for Damon. He was awesome. I said, Damon, if we just had more of you, we would be so successful. You are, you are the perfect volunteer. He goes, we can clone some people. He was a chemist. I said, uh, I don't know if that's a good idea. At least don't tell everybody. He's like, well, then they'd be babies. They'd have to grow up first. I'm like, this is getting weird. We're talking about church, but really cool stuff. But Damon started talking about this thing called uh, he, a holiday junction. Has anybody ever heard of this? And yes, I skipped this class in high school too because I was like, snooze fast. But stick with me, okay? I'll keep it good. If I can take it, you guys can hear it and I'll fall asleep. We're talking about chemistry here. No, we're really talking about God here. But there's this thing called the holiday junction that was uh, a theory that came about by a man named, a British geneticist called Robin, named Robin Holiday. And in 1964, he 
defined this thing called the Holiday Junction. And what it did, it was a diagram defining this thing of DNA recombination or genetic recombination, which is DNA manifesting and multiplying, okay? Creating strands. You with me? And DNA has strands. Let's say, did, did he have that strand of DNA? Oh, he's guilty. That's how we know it's him, you know? And so, so I'm hearing this talk, and I'm trying to reread it, and I'm just like, wah, wah, wah. This is like high school. I don't want to hear this. What did he say? And so Damon had interpreted this for me like two years ago, and I saved his notes. Serious. Because I said, one day, Damon, I'm going to preach on that. And we finally got here. Praise God. A building had to come before I was comfortable preaching chemistry to you all. Damon says the holiday junction forms during what's called genetic recombination. And recombination is um, of the genetic material occurs in order to ensure that there is a mixture of genetic material from both the mom and the dad, and it happens across all the chromosomes. The recombination promotes diversity to the offspring and also gives us each our own unique DNA signature. Isn't that cool? I said, that sounds like the church, the church vision. Discover your perfect plan made just for you. I always say, it's your plan. That means there's even a practical sense to this, that your plan also, you have, you have your own DNA, and it's just yours. It's no one else's. Otherwise, it would be a copy, like in a twin. I think a twin, there's similar chromosomes or it's split or something. But that's called the holiday junction. And the reason I wanted to preach on that is because DNA is formed out of strands. And, and a little bit comes from mom, and a little bit comes from dad. And when you get the new thing in the child, it can't be undone. That's a new creation, okay? So it's really cool. And so I just started thanking God for spiritual strands today because I'm seeing this in the spirit. I'm not seeing this in the flesh, and that's cool too because, yeah, I do have some of my mom's behavior, and I do have some of my dad's behavior, but I thank God that I have some of my heavenly father's behavior because, because he reformed me into a new child that was, that was made from him, a little from him, a little from me, a little, a little together we become a new thing. I thank God for spiritual strands, spiritual DNA. We live in a, hmm, how do I say this? Everybody knows about Jesus, but how many are intertwined with Jesus? There's a point of exchange. You have to be honest with yourself and find it kind of reminds me when Philip baptized the eunuch on the way back to uh, Judah. They had to have this point of exchange. And, and, and it, it's another example where God always creates an exchange point for something to happen. And as long as you're operating in parallel with God, nothing will change. Does that make sense? Because you never touch, you never embrace, you never cross paths. And we have to have literally a spiritual exchange where we come to the Father and we say, we've got to go across your path now. I can't go on any longer in parallel with you, watching you do good over there while I'm suffering over here. And that's what we try to do. We try to be a Christian without ever having the exchange. 
without ever crossing a real path. We can even be in the church, God forbid, and live that way. Isn't that sad? You know, you know some church people you grew up with, and they were so preachy and so good, and then you find out how they live on Monday through Friday, and you're like, you're like were they, did they have an encounter with Jesus? Did they really intersect Christ? Or did they just live in parallel on the buddy system? I am a friend of God. He's a friend, but he's more than that. He's a father. He's a chastener. He's, he's a corrector. He's, he's a holy, cov- uh, holy, infinite God also. He's not just our buddy, but that's a good place to start. So you know he understands you and he loves you. But we got to hit this point of exchange. And so I was writing this, and I had a flashback to sixth grade camp. Anybody ever do that? Sixth grade camp? Anybody ever have camp? Anybody ever had sixth grade? Did anybody go to elementary school? Okay, we're all a bunch of dropouts. That's cool. I was too. C average, baby. 2.0. Maybe that's D. Maybe that's a D average. I don't know. I was a 2.0 career high school. God forbid they let me out with a degree, with a diploma. In the sixth grade camp, I was uh, less than athletic looking, and I had a little bit of an issue with my appearance, and kids were kind of mean, and rightfully so, I wore a jacket in June, a leather jacket, because I didn't like the way I looked. Yes, yes, for Rizzo. You can ask my mother. I got off the camp bus. My face was blood red from heat exhaustion because I wouldn't take off the stinking jacket. What's wrong with me? That's a whole nother sermon. But in the camp, that caused a lot of kids to be do mean stuff. And so, so during the camp, I also had, can I share this? Can I share one more issue I had? It's funny now. Can I share this? Oh, really, this is good. Are you going to be able to handle this one? I just heard a pastor say, you can give them too much, and they look at you funny. I said, I do that all the time. <laughs> I had a problem wet in the bed on occasion when I was 12. I mean, not all the time, Allison, but once in a while, you know, and I'm not ashamed of it, but some, some kid found that out, and so they call me Wetty Bed. Hey, Wetty Bed. You remember Bunny Bread? They say, that's what I said, Wetty Bread, Wetty Bed. I mean, it's pretty funny now. Plus, I had my coat on, so I was just like the freak of the camp that, week, that year. And so, but I was a nice kid, and I, I was just, you know, weird on the outside, and um, people started bringing me their shoes in knots. <laughs> And they're like, we heard you are good at getting knots out of tennis shoes. And this was true. I don't know how it came about, but I was really good at getting, like, nasty tied knots out of tennis shoes. So one kid's bringing me his shoes, Jen. And I'm, I'm a good kid. Me and Caleb, we're, like, a lot alike. We're, like, we're just, like, a good, loving kid. I didn't know this was a setup. And so they bring me their shoes, and I get the knots out. I'm like, here you go, bro. Ain't nothing but a thing. He thought I couldn't do this with my coat on. And, and all of a sudden, the next day, a kid brings me a pair of shoes with knots. This is seven days. And the next day, maybe I get two pairs. And every time, I'm like, no problem. And I get the knots out, right? Well, at the end of the camp, the counselor starts giving out awards. And again, I wasn't really qualified for anything else that was considered an accomplishment. Um, and I got the Knot Fixer Award in camp. And you know, it took me like 30 years, Jen, to realize all that time those kids were faking those knots. I thought all my life, wow, I got this award. 
And what the reality was, this had nothing to do with the sermon, but the counselor felt bad for me, knew they were teasing me, and he gave me an award that stuck with me, and I felt like I accomplished something my whole life by getting that award. So on the positive side of camp, guys, that's what counselors can do for you. They can make you feel good, and you never forget it. But unlike getting those knots out, which is a good thing, the spiritual knots you want in the Lord, you don't want untied. You don't want to get them out. But people be walking around in their spirit like loose shoelaces, you know? They walk around like where they don't ever tie them. You ever knew the brothers in school, they never tied their shoes. They just walked around and they're barely, I'm like, how they stay on their feet? Because it looked cool. But you know that's a tripping hazard, right? That was the cool thing. You like tuck the shoelaces and hide the, not even tie them. But, but when you try to do that for Jesus, you are the devil's prey. When you, when you have no, no tight bond with God in the process, you are fresh meat to the enemy. And you can, you can look really good, but if that knot doesn't stay tight, you are fresh for the attack. And you'll still be under attack when the knot's good, but when it's not good, you'll be defeated. And that's the difference. And so getting to that point of exchange is a point where God starts working his laces or strands, whatever you want to call them, around our life because now we're in contact with him, okay? So we have to have that. We have to get to where God wants to tie us up like that in our spirit so that we can't be separated back and be walking side by side while our our spiritual shoes are falling off every time something bad happens. We don't know what to do. What do we do? Oh, my Lord, does anybody have something I can borrow on Facebook? Quit asking. That's a joke, by the way. I'm making fun of millennials. I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. It's my own own family tree. Like, like nobody knows how to handle nothing because they, they shout big, but their laces are untied everywhere they go. Oh, I fell again. Like, tie your shoes, man. Get in your word. Get a backbone for Jesus. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. So tie them up, people, you know? And um, now I make jokes because I know someone, they ask for everything on Facebook. Everything. Facebook doesn't know that. They don't have the chainsaw you need to cut down the tree. The hardware store does. In fact, rent one at Home Depot. It's super cool. They bring it to you. Anyway, I'll quit my rant there. We're living a loose shoelace life. And so things easily come undone. And we're really living separate for God through the buddy system. And that causes us to be weak under these attacks. So we have to get to this intersection so he can become our shield because he's, he's, he's tying us up with protection. It's a spiritual genetic recombination of spiritual chromosomes forming new DNA strands in Christ Jesus. That's what happens when we start to embrace him. Might I add also, when you stop at repentance, You've stopped the seem, seeming process. Oh, this is good. Y'all not going to like this, some of you grace people on, online. It's just all about grace. Like, grace is the doorway. That says, God, God says, I'm going to start seeming you up. But come to me. Live for me. Join into my mission. Like, live a life for me. And I'm going to keep woving tighter, okay? 
And so, so grace is the doorway. Faith walks through it. And faithfulness is what allows God to be embraced in a real encounter and starts uh, building strands around our life that don't break. People stop early when they got out the needle and the, and the, and the, and the fabric and they start, he starts to seam them up and then they walk away and say, I feel good, it must be good enough. And then you see them back at that place. You see them back in the same thing and nothing ever changes. It's because the devil's telling them they're good enough and God hasn't finished woving him up into his covenant. You getting this? That's good preaching right there. Anybody knows about this. That's a really good illustration right there. That if you stop when the seamstress is not finished, you're going to break free again as soon as it gets tough. you got to be tight where you can't even get out when you want to. I've been in moments with God saying, I just want to be a sinner again. Doesn't that sound great? And Michelle's like, well, if you weren't a pastor, maybe. <laughs> I said, Michelle, don't tempt me. It was easier sometimes to just break free. But I can't break free now that I'm, it's, it's forever. And so that's what's good about Jesus is when it's forever, even when you're dumb enough to think you want to go back to the dark side, God says, I can't let you do that. You're forever mine. Oh, that's good. You're forever mine. And you're too dumb to know it right now, but you'll thank me later. I tell my boys all the time, you'll thank me later that I made you eat yogurt when you were four. Caleb says, what was it you said the other day, Dad? You said, I'll thank you later. I said, yeah, I say it all the time because he wouldn't eat food. He just wanted his baba until he was like 18. So you got to have some meat, boy. Get some bones. And he says, he says, you're right. I love yogurt now and bananas and all the soft stuff that make, soft stuff that would make me gag, but you, you wouldn't let me not have it. And you said, I'll thank you later. And so that's how we get, like, I don't know, has God ever uh, delivered you from something that you thought maybe was not the path in the moment, but you look back and you thanked him later. Anybody? You count your blessings in hindsight and you go, man, thank you, God, for doing that. Was I a fool? Was I a fool? So good. But we have to get to that intersection. And spiritual genetic recombination or DNA recombination in the spirit will start the process. But my fear is if I get too close, this is another one, that God, what will he think of me? No, he already knows what you did. You can't hide it from him. He already knows you did that thing last week. Like, like he already knows everything. He knows the hairs on your head, the Bible said. So why are you worried about what people think when God already knows what you've done? Make it right with God. Don't worry about them. The rest will work itself out. Ain't that good? People will stay away from God because they don't want, they, they even th think that God won't forgive them. Isn't that the most crazy thing you ever heard? That they think God won't forgive them? What kind of God would not forgive? That's everything he is. It's unconditional love. It's the, it's the essence of who he is, is unconditional love. And unconditional love would always have to forgive to be unconditional. So we'll stay away in this loose shoelace life in parallel because of reasons like this. But getting close exposes the opportunity to flourish. Paul said in verse 32 of Ephesians there, he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. He's saying that God takes us to this place of inseparability that we clearly don't deserve. We clearly could never earn. And that is grace that allows us to be in his 
be in his tabernacle, to like be near the ark. You know what I mean? Like that is his grace that allowed this to take place, that we could get to this place of inseparability. How dare he bring in my dirty junk into his DNA and make a child? Isn't that something? But Paul says it's a mystery, but doesn't mean it's not true. We don't need to know how because we know it's true. How can God wrap himself around me so tight in my past is no longer relevant? No, it's gone. Has anybody ever seen like in a wedding, they do, um, hey, by the way, say a prayer for me. I got something wrong with this arm. I'm getting an MRI, but this arm don't work right. So it's been broke since like eight, eight months ago. You guys can say a prayer for me. I'm serious, there's something wrong with this forearm. I don't know if I need surgery, but every time I do this, it's a lot of pain. Back to the message. Has anybody ever seen a unity candle or a sand ceremony in a wedding? Do you know why they do this? Because it looks really cool. I know. I know it does. It looks really cool. No. Everything physical has a spiritual significance. The unity candle's cool, but I saw a sand ceremony for the first time, and I thought that was even more cementing, no pun intended, of the point that it makes is that when you put two things of sand together, this is what they do. The, the, the groom and the bride, they come with their sand, and they pour it in the, the thing, and the sand becomes one. You're in, there's no way you can figure out later whose is who. It's like bank accounts. <laughs> uh, anyway. You can't, um, that's a joke about separate bank accounts. Anyway, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, We'll edit that. No, I will leave it. Uh, It's for the Lord. So the sand, you can't separate, which is so cool. And the unity candle, you light it together, and you don't, the flame doesn't, the flame that's now burning on that unified flame can no longer know which candle lit me on which side. It's, It's one flame. But, That is exactly what happens to us through the transformation process, through the new covenant, through the new seal that God puts on us as his child, which becomes his church. When he starts having multiple children in the spirit, guess what he now has? A church. That's all the church is. It's all the believers together, unified as one body. That's the bride. Isn't that cool? He's the groom. When you are fearful and anxious, you need his arms around you. And it's amazing what a hug can do. An embrace from God that won't let go. Some of my worst moments, I had to get where I really wanted a real touch from God. And then I felt his presence just fall on me. The Bible says the spirit would just fall on people because, because, because when you seek a touch from God, the power of God just falls on you. And it's like, it does something to you in, in the physical and in the spirit. And so, so we have to get to this place where we really want a touch from God so his spirit just falls on you. I look back when I was far from God, or maybe you can look back when you were far from God and see how he changed your thinking about people. I don't know if y'all heard this joke, but it was true that when we started the church, I liked everything but having to actually talk to the people outside of the message. I said, how can I do this? This is before we had a service, by the way. How can I do this and not have to actually ever talk to the people? 
you know, like it's a show, right? I'll just go speak. I'll go out, see you next week, like nobody knows. And, 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 and what happened is my heart changed for people even more. I really, I really liked people back then, but I didn't know I loved people like that. Because, because like, like at yesterday at the game, when I saw the camaraderie of the people, it, it, made me, it made me, like I saw the husband and wife trying to do the selfie photo with their kids in front of the dugout. And I said, hey, you want me to take that for you? And I was excited to do it. Who did that guy, where did that guy come from? That was never me. I'd be like all about my own business. And I was excited. And then the little girl, she got the game winning ball in front of us. So they, they, they closed it out. It was like an eight to, eight to three or something. And, and she got the game winning ball and she just welled up. And I was like, so touched by that. And just like, was so excited for her. So I realized God changed my heart. Um, good thing by being a pastor, over, over the time of uh, like caring for people. And really what God did is he drew out what was already there, but I didn't know that, and I thought he was crazy. But you can look back, I bet some of you, before God started woven you up, and you can see how God has changed your heart for people, how he's changed your heart in your road rage, how he's changed your heart in the parking lot when they cut you off and they say, you took my spot and you say, you can have it because it's the Lord's anyway. Like you didn't know you could talk to someone like that without profanity. Like you didn't know that God changed you so much. Is anybody else getting this? I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. <laughs> I'm talking about us. <laughs> it takes a weakness of our self-motive to neutralize our shortcomings, shortcomings, so God can strengthen the knot, strengthen the strands. It's a pride thing. I got a, Paul said it best. He said, when I am weak, he is strong. So I will not, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about Jesus. That's what Paul said. The most cocky, uh, educated man of the New Testament, almost. That's what he said. So we have to reduce ourselves and our, our conclusions in order to get that knot really tight and get to the exchange point of inseparability. That's why I thank God for spiritual strands. Let's watch this. He said I should cross paths, but what really happens when I embrace the presence of God and come to my knees for Jesus? Watch what Paul says in 2 Corinthians as well. Chapter 5. Verse 16 through 21. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, everybody say in. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, who gave us this ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself through the flesh, Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God." 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's so good. I don't know if you're getting that last verse. Let's do that again. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, become sin for us so that in him we might become sinless in him because of him. You see, God doesn't exchange when we hit that cross path. And then now there is no separation because it says you become a new thing. I can walk in confidence now because something has happened to my insides. I've got a righteous father who abides in me and he's woven through me. People don't think of it like that. They kind of think of like their spiritual life as like a bucket and God's in or he's out. He's in or out. Once saved, always saved. What do you think, pastor? Like God is in, God is in you and he's woven through you. So how can I take him back out? Now, if you go do something crazy, I don't know where God draws a line and says, I was never in you to begin with. That's a different sermon. So don't twist it. But once God gets in there, he can't come back out. Okay? I don't know where God draws a line on people, people's minds. Somebody asked me this the other day. I said, I don't know where God, I'm not God. I don't know when they're, when they're crazy or when they're, when they're not crazy or when it was real or when it was fake. And why should I? Because I'm not the judge. I'm the pastor. I'm the, I'm the sheep. I'm the shepherd. I'm the believer. I spread the word. I just give the good news. I didn't write it. So people will do that to you. And then they'll say, I'm not coming to church because you think this. I just, that's what the Bible says. I know that if God is in you and woven through you, you can't become anything else. It's too late for you to fall like that again. And if you slip up, because we're not perfect, we're still part flesh in this. We can slip up, and in the old Bishop Jake's voice, he'll pull a hook in your mouth and yank you back out. You like that? That's my Bishop Jake's voice. Doesn't, doesn't sound as good as him. But that's what the Spirit will do. It's never leaving you at that point. That's why he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Because once you're interwoven, he can't leave you. He's in you. He can't abandon you. He's in you. He can't not understand your situation. He's in this situation with you. It's him. It's a marriage. You can't divorce this thing even if you wanted to. Well, I know they were just not what I thought and all these things. But God says it doesn't matter because I know what's best for you. You're not getting out of this one. It's forever. There's no prenup on this. <laughs> I said it wouldn't be about marriage, that kind of marriage. We are woven in sanctification. Sanctification is what the, is the weaving process of the strands. That's, that's spiritual growth. It's a big word for me until I started the church. I said, I mean, make sure I, I preach this right. That's spiritual growth. So you can start pregnant, but you got to have a baby, and then you got to nurture the child. It's the same with us. We got to be nurtured and grow, and that's sanctification. And through that weaving process, we just get stronger and stronger and stronger. And yeah, we may be going to heaven at this point, but we still need to know how to defend on earth while we're here getting attacks from the enemy. So we're still going to keep getting stronger. Our strands are still going to get tighter. I may be a new thing, but God's going to keep maturing our spirit. That's sanctification. You know, my boys, uh, they're, they're getting strong, but I know that their life, they're going to keep growing. Their bones are going to get stronger. Eventually, they're going to be able to beat me in arm wrestling, especially with this arm right now. They probably beat me now. Eventually, I can't wrestle them like I used to and have one on my head and, and three on my shoulder. Eventually, I'm going to be piggybacking on them. 
because they're still growing. I'm still growing them as my child. I didn't, I didn't give up on them because, because they, they've, they've reached the world that they've been born. I didn't stop on them at birth. I keep maturing them. So God keeps weaving us in sanctification. It's so cool. I want to tell you one other thing Damon shared. Who remembers Damon from 20 minutes ago when I mentioned him? <laughs> if that was my boys, he'd say, who's Damon? I said, Dad, just told you 15 minutes ago. Huh? Who's Dad? Oh, that's you. Can I go back to my tablet, Dad? Give me that thing. Well, I'm on my phone. <clears throat> Damon said one other thing. This is, this is so good. This is about to seal the deal. In his notes, he says, from two years ago, in my Windows notepad that I've saved, he says, DNA has inherent properties in the structure and it's replication processes that cause variation, thus ensuring that over time, small, minute changes will naturally occur. It also, oh, this is so good. Get ready to shout. It also enhances the ability to adjust to diverse environments. Are you getting this? God says, I put something in you that's going to nurture on its own, and you're going to be able to keep handling more and more diverse and unfavorable environments because it's just a natural change that's starting to progress in you. It wasn't just done at birth. Something now is manifesting out of you. Maybe that's your calling. Maybe that's, maybe that's, maybe that's what you thought that would never happen, and God turned you into a minister, or God turned you into a, a Bible study leader, or God turned you into an evangelist, or God turned you into a greeter. Like that was God building strands and saying, now it's going to also do some things of its own, because when I touch it, it grows. I don't have to be with it on every single step. I touch it and say, grow for that, that person. And it starts growing on its own. And, and, and so Damon just confirmed that there is a spiritual recombination that happens just like what we call our, our DNA recombination in the human that keeps maturing and naturally changing on its own, building up strength on its own. It has its own unique signature. Now, isn't God a comedian sometimes? Well, God, if you had been here for my brother, I'm the resurrection. Like, God knows what he's doing. And so God always gives us a backup plan to prove how silly we are. So God not only clearly shows in the sermon today that everything in the spirit is the same as what we know about the DNA, but then look at the picture of what God does when he forms our DNA. Look at the holiday junction. Look what he does. Let's show that. Look at that. That's a holiday junction. Come on, somebody. That's DNA recombination. God say, I made that. You crazy people. No one came up with that. I came up with that. Because everything you see in the flesh, I created in the spirit first. Just like your marriage, just like your new birth, just like your life, everything. Isn't that cool? It's a cross. Come on, somebody. It's a cross. God slips it in. He's good like that. That's your life in Christ. That's what it looks like when you become a new creation in Christ. You got a spiritual, thank you, Jen. We got a spiritual holiday junction. Your DNA changes through Christ and now you have new DNA. Y'all can stand with me. I'm just getting too excited for y'all to be staying sitting like this. Now, when that happens, you're guarded by a holy shield because it's in and around 
and up and down and everything in between. It's wrapping you up like, like that holiday junction. And what God has brought together, this is why the Bible says this, no man can separate, no man can divide, no man can take away, no devil can take it away because I'm one with him and nothing can stop that. Even if I get hit by a car, God forbid tomorrow, what a gruesome illustration. Even if I don't, even if I, something happens in my flesh, I didn't plan for tomorrow, I was still one in Jesus because I got my own holiday junction going on with the Lord, amen? I can be confident in that this week. I can be confident in that. That don't mean don't take care of yourselves. God says, take care of your flesh. I need you in the mission. I need you in the fight. We need ministers. We need sheep to go out there and, and be the lions that's in their heart. Hail, Lion of Judah. The lion was in the lamb. God, we're so thankful now. We're so thankful now that you have provided such an awesome illustration that man thinks is their own in, in, in knowledge, but you just telling man, I already had that from the beginning. I made the blueprint. I'm no counselor. You can't copy what I did. You can rob me all day, but I'm still your father. You can try to run from me all day, but I still love you. You can say my word is void, but I'll still change your heart. You just keep telling me that. God, we thank you now. We pray for blessing over this church favor over these people, favor over their walks. Open up their hearts today, God. Let them see the need for, for a point of exchange, God. We pray that somebody online today is watching that just thinks that that's enough. And you said, that's not enough. I need more from you. I want a real exchange with you. So get into my house so you can have an exchange here. And then you can take an exchange over there. And you can touch another life. And you can do another thing. And I got so much more for you than this. My plans are far greater than you even know yet. Touch somebody in that way today, God. We thank you now. We give you praise. We worship you now. We lift up our voices to the heavens. We shout praises to your name. We give all the thanks, all the glory. And if the house of God can say in Jesus' name, amen.